3: Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site, overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Dami. Tonight, Facebook unveiling its highly anticipated cryptocurrency project, Libra. And RBC's Mark Mahaney says it is a game changer for the stock. He will be here. Plus, Beyond Meat taking a bit of a breather after hitting 200 bucks a share today. One top technician says this parabolic stock still has more room to run. We start off with the market rally and... Everything's awesome. That's right. Trump's tweet saying he had a good call with Chinese President Xi. That sent stocks soaring, the Dow at more than 400 points at the highs of the session. The S&P 500 just 1% away from its record. And this coming ahead of tomorrow's big Fed decision where investors are expecting doves to fly. So Ooh. that's the question for tonight. French. Is the Fed about to release the doves? And is everything awesome once again, guys? Well, I love that Chrissy
4: Teigen song. It's one of my favorite songs. It's <laughs> your ringtone. Yeah. Uh, my ringtone. Yes. I, sure. it is. It's funny. I Looked out of my phone when exactly. it show started. I'm like, who's calling me at five <laughs> o'clock? Uh I don't think everything is awesome at all. If everything awesome, uh utilities wouldn't be making all-time highs. You wouldn't have twenty-four percent of global sovereign bonds with negative yields. That's just my world. But through the prism of the SP five hundred Everything is fantastic. You know, President Trump could say whatever he wants. Great call with President Xi. I'll say it again. I don't think we're any closer to a trade deal with China now than we were six months ago. I may be proven wrong in a week. It's happened before. But the fact that the market's here is all on the back of this hope that somehow the Fed has our back. And I think it's madness. If the Fed would emergency cut tomorrow. I think that's madness at the highest level. If
3: the Fed doesn't deliver on any level, even just taking the patient out of the state. I mean, I don't know what happens.
4: I I actually, yeah, there's a
5: big risk. I mean, the market's done a lot of the Fed's work for it, right? It's priced in these cuts. Yields are at lows. I mean, look at uh, bond yields in the U.S. 10-year bond yields are the same as Italy bond yields here. I mean, the world has gone, gone sideways here. That being said, if the Fed doesn't come out with a dovish statement or a dovish kind of tone to it all tomorrow, I actually think the equity market is at risk because it's built on this assumption that we're going to get more. Or stimulus out of, the, out of the Federal Reserve.
1: So I, I think a Fed that's uh, preemptive and one that's going to be cutting tactically, uh, which is not really in their mandate, but they have done this before, is very good for equity markets. A Fed that is actually reactive uh, and needs to follow really where we're going on the leading economic indicators, business confidence. Look at that New York Fed to, uh, yesterday, which was lowest since October 2016, and is closely correlated with the ISM. So these are things that the Fed would probably be saying, hey, this is a reason to move maybe tomorrow. They're not going to move tomorrow. But I'm just telling you that if, if they're now waiting to July and then possibly even September, um, that's a Fed that the market doesn't like. So I would echo what's been said already, that, that markets have priced in the Fed at this point. And I think it's a little bit uh, of a concern to think that the Fed can give you more ammunition tomorrow, even though they do need to begin to kind of restate where they're going to be in July. It
3: is going so far that now there is a case being floated around that there could be a 50 basis point cut in the off. And that the last two easing cycles in 01 and 07 started with a 50, with a 50. basis
6: point yeah. cut so why not this time around why not just go for it i mean <laughs> i look i don't know if, if we don't get anything tomorrow i don't think that t- that i i think the market may be okay with that waiting to see all right well, we'll in july. july and that was really if we don't get anything by then that's very different 50 basis point Points, seems sort of aggressive to me, just in your doves' cry. It would, people would party like it's 1999. Listen and to you, Frank right and right there, Karen. The <laughs> nice. But I, I don't know. I got to tell you, I, don't, I get why the market is up. I get the tweet. I get the draggy, you know, with, with that... Uh, mm-hmm. Any sign of... No sign of improvement would be enough for them to do something. Right. Is that right? right. I mean, yeah. it was a pretty... Uh, that's about as dovish as you can get without yeah. actually doing anything. But right. I guess they will. So I get all that. But I think the Fed, I mean, let's see how earnings go. I think I just see a headline coming out of U.S. Steel right now. We're, we're just getting into earnings season. To me, I'm really concerned about not just second quarter, but what companies think about the second half of the year. I'm really concerned about that. I don't think a tweet is enough, I think, a deal, not even the hopes of a deal, a deal is enough. And that's actually what Mario
5: Draghi cited, was the uncertainty in the global economy is becoming a drag on the economy. And so that's what the Federal Reserve, that's what the ECB and the Bank of Japan are all dealing with. And to Guy's point, I'm not sure that monetary policy is the fix for this. And I agree. I think we need to see some concrete steps on a deal at the G20. Otherwise I think it would be really tough
4: sledding for the market. It's interesting though, and we talked about this when President Trump was candidate Trump was elected, we said he will somehow use the Federal Reserve as a scapegoat if the market goes lower, and he has set it up perfectly now it, it, and he he 's talked about it now for months and think about tomorrow if the fed doesn 't deliver and the market goes down he has the perfect uh, he has a perfect villain in this whole game well
3: let me add to that and that is that you know once again today the reports that yes. they're considering demoting chairman Powell come out today <laughs> so, tonight is also a, a re-election rally for Trump in Florida he is candidate Trump once again now, mm-hmm. right and so th- I don't know if that I'm not going to posit a, a conspiracy theory, but <laughs> well, I'll, I'll put it out it's there. Unbelievably coincidental. One yeah. or two, I would, you know, yeah. say he, yeah. that tweet was very convenient. It the headline very convenient.
1: This is all about 2020, and and President Trump, no longer candidate, Trump knows exactly what it's going to take. It's going to take the market to be in the right spot in 2020. But in the meantime. Uh, the pushback on China, and Guy says he doesn't think we get a deal, that's enormously popular in this country right now. Let's be clear. And although we're not a yeah. politics show, I just want to talk to you about where policy could still be in the short to medium term. The S&P is effectively at all-time highs. The Federal Reserve, by the way, um, if anything, look at the market conditions. Look at liquidity conditions. Look at risk factors. In other words, the market is actually giving the Fed a lot of room to do almost nothing. When risk assets and the association between essentially household balance sheets and the market is what it is, um, the Fed does not need to stimulate. The market, Brian talked about this, is doing the Fed's work for them right
6: now. But can I just push back on something you said? If you- sure. We haven't seen yet the second round, of, or the I guess it would be the third round of tariffs really go through, and I don't know how that resolve will hold up in the face of what will start to be, you know, uh, prices that either companies can't absorb or that the or I know I know we're making billions in tariffs, but let's say the consumer actually has to absorb it. I don't know if that resolve will, will continue.
1: Well. Th- I agree with that, and I agree that if we look back on the last 15 months, that the market has never really recovered, even though we really haven't had the teeth of tariffs take hold yet, and it's been about confidence, and ultimately that is a leading indicator, whether it's businesses or whether it's consumers. So, um, I, yes, I, that's it's a fair pushback. I'm not sure we can quickly flip a switch when it comes time and not have already done irreparable damage to a fragile recovery. Uh, what I'm saying is I actually think that uh, the White House understands how important the market is to their re-election. They know how many administrations before them have not been re-elected on the market and the economy alone nothing else not policy people are voting with their wallets and therefore that's the backstop for investors right now
3: so we we have a very loyal viewer base mm-hmm, They watch every day very you know almost to a devoted, man and woman right exactly yep. so i'm going to marry yes what we talked about yesterday in the A block with what we're talking oh, about yesterday's right a block can you i know you can't remember it so i will refresh everybody's <laughs> were memory here? And that no, is me. we, ask, we ask whether or not the markets at these levels which is You know, a higher. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Value trader, value trap, and you surprisingly said it was a value trade. Yes, I did.
4: Remember that? And you're like, and I started the show by saying, "You bet you think you're in my head, but you're wrong." So
3: today. Do you still agree with that? Yeah,
4: no, I do still agree, because I don't think the so reason— So you
3: still buy into this market 1% away from record Listen, highs?
4: Listen, I'm not, I'm not, the, market, the market has gone down for over the years for many reasons, not least of which have been a, a multiple, forward multiple. So it doesn't have to be an expensive market for the market to sell off. I think the least of the market's problems is a valuation that's expensive. I don't think it is, which is why I think the S&P is a value trade. However— the other factors going on right now, to me, outweigh them all. And that's why I think at a 15 VIX and an S&P at an all-time high with people hoping there's a G20 China trade deal and hoping that the Fed is somehow more dovish than they've been, I just think you're really in the deep end of the pool at
3: this point. Okay, so let me, let me focus mm-hmm. the question a little bit more on, on the things, mm-hmm. that, the things that rallied in today's session. That would be raw materials, right? Commodities really uh, went Sold higher. Sold to you. Okay.
5: So to you I think those are value traps. I mean, let's talk, let's think about one of the reasons that people think that commodities might go higher is because the Fed's going to cut rates. You think you get a weaker dollar. I would make a bet that the dollar actually gets stronger if the Fed cuts rates because the entire world is now going to come in and start buying U.S. bonds. So that's not going to be good for commodities take it one step further, that's not going to be good for multinationals. So taking a third step now, I'm on my third derivative here, to the S&P 500, for the last year we've traded in a range, a huge range, but we've basically traded sideways. What catalyst out there is there today that there wasn't there yesterday that's going to break us out? I would argue that we don't have a new catalyst, and in fact, this G20 meeting, why would the Chinese? On, at the G20 meeting, come and say, hey, we're going to make a deal right now. Why wouldn't they drag it out
3: until the election? You know, it's interesting. The editor of the Global Times, which is often cited as having sort of a hotline to the Chinese Communist Party, he tweeted that... The Communist Whisperer? Yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> the she the, the, the Whisperer. Okay. The she Whisperer basically tweeted today that, that the meeting, the G20 meeting between Trump and Xi was at the request of the United States. The way it's being positioned, just as we think that, you know, there is an, a, somehow a, 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 hand, a leg up in the United States. In China, they think the opposite.
1: Well, I, I know, and you know, the, the protests in Hong Kong are another reason to believe that there's no way that she that wants to go into the G20 with at least some strife you know, in his region, certainly in their area of domain. Um, I, I, back to commodities, copper is up over 2% today, and copper uh, and oil really have been have been taking a beating, but if you look at the bottom-up story, leaving aside global macro, but look at the bottom-up of how some of the miners uh, in iron ore and copper have been run, uh, the, the fact of the matter is, if anything, we're going to possibly get some stimulus in the form of infrastructure we continue to get one belt one road these are all supporting if you talk to miners around the world iron ore prices above 100 are not going anywhere anytime soon so i kind of like these trades look i I like steel uh not because i've been happy about steel tariffs but because i thought that the valuation of u.s steel was you know and that was 30 percent ago so I'm, i'm wearing that one um i have to like it here and i do think that the inputs to steel ultimately are better for steel prices
3: Well, everything may only stay awesome for a little bit longer. As markets move closer to record highs, your next guest says the gains are in for the year. Let's bring in Scott Wren, Senior Global Equity Strategist at Wells Fargo. Scott, always great to speak with you. Uh, The last time we spoke was towards the end of May, and you said that you would buy the markets at that point. That was a great call. So why do you think the the gains are in for the year at this point?
7: Well, Melissa, I think right now, you know, what we've tried to do is take some risk out of these portfolios, largely because if you look ahead, it's really going to rely on what what you know if we get any kind of trade deal the market's going to take that as a positive uh, but i think that's a big uncertainty we certainly don't expect We certainly don't expect a deal coming out of the G20. Maybe some happy talks and talk and a handshake or two, but um, you know it's going to take some time to work out a trade deal. We think there eventually will be one, Um, but but you know right now, and I will say this, you know, with the Fed meeting tomorrow, you know at two o'clock Eastern time, we're going to find out uh, whether or not the uh, market is counting on the Fed cutting rates uh, because the dot plot's not going to jive with. Uh, what's going on with the Fed funds futures, and and it's going to disappoint relative to those Fed funds uh, futures. Now we've been talking to clients about, hey, you know, the market wanted some reassurance from the Fed. That's certainly what Jay Powell gave us. Uh, we would argue that the market's not counting on uh, 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 rate cuts. We think there might be one this year. We don't think they need to do it, but uh, but we'll see tomorrow two o'clock, and for the t- and for the two hours into the close after that, um, you know. You you have some big time potential here for a lot of volatility.
3: So you think one cut this year? What if the Fed delivers two cuts this year? Does that leave some room to the upside in your view, or no?
7: You know, I I think it probably would. I mean, you need to, but but really, importantly, uh, for us, at least in our opinion, anyway, you know, you need some kind of trade progress to really get up above. Uh, The old record high, which we're almost certainly going to test soon here, um, the old record high and to really stay above that. So, um, you know, there's a long road to hoe, I think, before we see uh, some kind of trade deal. And, uh, you know, I guess one thing we can say for certain almost is that uh, these global central banks in a nine-month period of time uh, have gone from playing hardball and talking about a lot of rate increases um, to, being pretty soft and talking about easing and some of them almost no doubt easing at some point.
6: Scott's Karen, let me ask you something. So what would make you change your view and become more bullish again? You talked about possibly the Fed already being in there for some 25 basis points. Would it have to be a trade deal that was it, much sooner yeah, t- rather than I- later?
7: I tell you, Karen, that's, that's really for us. And, you know, you could certainly argue we're staying here at neutro, neutral uh, largely relative to strategic allocations. But, you know, we're leaning sector-wise. We like industrials. We like consumer discretionary. We like technology. You know, those will do well under a trade deal scenario. And really for us, that's what we really need is we need some kind of deal. Now, does it need to be a perfect deal? Absolutely not. Does it need to be a deal where you'll strip away these tariffs that are in place and it promises to not add more? I think that's the key to the whole deal. So, um, you know, the market really, to be honest with you, would probably be happy if you went back to the status quo for the last (coughs) 25 or 30 years. It would take some uncertainty out of of it and uh, the market would probably even like that. But uh, I think we're probably going to get some kind of deal here. Um, It's just not going to be a perfect deal. But like I said, In our opinion, the market doesn't need a perfect deal.
3: Scott, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. All right. Thanks, guys. Scott Wren, Wells Fargo, BK.
7: Yeah,
5: I mean, I think Scott's 100% right. The market needs un- the market needs certainty. There's too much uncertainty out there. So some kind of incremental stat or some kind of idea that, hey, wait a second, there are not going to be any more tariffs. There's going to be a bit of a ratcheting back. I just have no confidence that that's going to happen in two weeks at the G20. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. That's why I think the market is extremely vulnerable
4: here. So it's incredible, though. You know, the most uncertain we've probably been in quite some time, and here we are within a percent of the all-time high in the S&P. It's, it's absolute madness if you think about it, but, again, the market's trading on a lot of positive things coming out. I just don't see it. Again, you said it earlier. I have no, we think, as Americans, when a deal is made, ready to be made by President Trump, a deal will be made. I understand why we would think that. I'll push back and say, if you're the Chinese, if you just take a step back, why would you make a deal at all at this point when you can string us out right into next year's election?
3: Coming up, Boeing flying high. The stock having its best day since January as it marks its first new order for the 737 Max is the worst over for the aerospace giant. Plus, Facebook launching its new cryptocurrency, Libra. And Mark Mahaney says it is a watershed moment for the social media giant. He'll be here to explain. And later, Beyond Meat is up nearly 600% since its IPO, but one top technician is still pressing the buy button. He'll break down why he is so bullish. Real Live from Times Square in New York City, much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Checkout out shares of Boeing posting its best day since January after International Airlines Group, which is a parent of British Airways, signed a letter of intent to purchase 200 Boeing 737 MAX planes, ending a month-long drought following the fleet grounding. This comes as Boeing announced this morning Korean Air decided to buy 30 Boeing 787 Dreamliners for more than $6 billion. So is this a sign that the worst may be over for Boeing? Tim
1: look, every time Boeing has had a safety issue, and I go back to the software glitch of 2013, it, it, it kind of served its time, and it's still doing that. I'm not saying that we have all the answers, and I'm certainly not saying that people shouldn't be pointing a finger at them trying to get all the answers, but um, whether it's the FAA grounding them and ultimately coming back online, eventually you get to a place where Boeing needs to be Boeing's biggest enemy, and right now, outside of this, which we don't know, Boeing hasn't been. It's, it's been as well-run as any company in the world from an operational perspective and from a key, free cash flow perspective. Unlike Boeing of other years. So right now, if you look at where the stock has actually defended this kind of key level between 340 and 360, uh, this news is very, very important for confidence. It doesn't solve all the legal, but it does solve a lot of the confidence issues.
6: Karen, what do you think? I sort of agree. I mean, I think it's important, right? It's uh, you can't help but if you're a CEO of a company and you see of, of, of someone who would purchase planes and you see others who are doing it and you're not the first one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you start to think, um, all right, maybe it's OK to put a toe in the water. And, I, and, and that sort of breeds confidence among other potential right. buyers. So sort of I, So maybe the bottom is in, I think, um, there's still issues about Boeing is not cheap. Right. And we are in a trade war. There is that as well. But uh, I, I do think maybe the worst is over. I do think a name change, which we did talk of about. Of the again. max, yeah. Yes. And part yes. of the gain today could
3: have been China trade headlines, no certainly. Yep. Um, but, you know, a, a key piece of information I think we don't know yet is at what price is IAG buying these planes. And so for Boeing to say, hey, why don't you, can we announce a deal for up to 200 planes sometime in the future, and we'll give you a deal.
4: You think somehow there's some discount embedded in it? Maybe. Well, that's so it. maybe no, I think that's fair. They should. but, but it also sur- they should. No, maybe I mean, they that's should. That's the right way to do it. So here we are, 373, 374. This is where the stock basically cratered down to after all this news came out, probably back, what, April, March or so. So right back to those levels. I thought it would stop here. Three months ago, it obviously had another 10%, 12% to the downside. But to Tim's point, I think the worst is in, and I think there is room to the upside. You're basically saying that defense portion of this company is not worth nothing but close to it. And although I understand what Karen's saying in terms of valuation, this is a company that's traded richer than it has now in similar environments. So I think Boeing goes higher from here.
5: Yeah, 340 seems to be a decent support level, so risk-reward-wise, you know where your stopout is. Below 340, you're out of
3: there, but up here, I think you're okay. All right. For more on Boeing, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. If you're a Libra and you've been hesitant about making that big purchase, hold off for another couple of days.
5: Sure, but Facebook is officially entering the crypto universe with its Libra launch. We'll tell you why Wall Street is so excited. Plus, Beyond me, shares are falling today. Coming right. It's okay, it's okay. One top technician says this parabolic stock still has more room to run. He'll be here to explain. Much more fast money still ahead.
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook going full crypto, unveiling its new digital currency Libra today. The start of what the social giant calls the Internet of Money to rebuild a reliable and global financial infrastructure. But our resident Bitcoin baller, Brian Kelly, says it's not exactly a cryptocurrency. He's over at the plaza with a little crypto class. BK, take it away.
5: Yeah, sure. So let's get into this. This is not to to put down Libra. I think this is a huge step forward for the entire space. But let's just look at how this works and what you're getting into if you're going to do Libra. Okay, so how does it actually work? What are the mechanics? First thing you do is exchange dollars, yen, euro, whatever the basket's going to be, for your Libra token. So Facebook gives you a Libra token in for your dollars. So Facebook is now holding your dollars. You have to trust Facebook that they're going to hold on to those dollars, they're going to keep track of the ledger, and that your token's going to be worth something. You go out, you buy your goods and services on the Facebook platform, whoever else is using it, maybe Uber somehow is involved, and then you're left with the Libra tokens that are left over. Let's say you bought $20 worth of Libra tokens, it cost you $10 for a a nice digital cat on Facebook, and all of a sudden you've got another $10 left in Libra tokens. Again, you have to trust Facebook that they're going to hold it, that the companies there are going to, the companies in the consortium, are going to keep that ledger and be honest about that. That's a big deal difference from what a cryptocurrency is. It's about trust. So when you talk about the difference between this and something like Bitcoin, Bitcoin is trustless. You don't need to uh, believe that anybody's going to check that ledger. You can do it yourself. You hold on to it yourself. So let's look at really kind of the main difference. And I'm going to be a bit simple on this for the the crypto folks out there. They probably might not like this. But this is really the main difference. What Libra is doing is creating a digital version of the U.S. dollar, yen, euro. It's like a stable coin. But you still have all the characteristics of a fiat currency. What Bitcoin is it's digital gold. And in my opinion, it's probably a lot better than gold, but there is no trusted third party involved. And that's the huge difference. This is about that trusted third party. And to me, that's the revolution of crypto is that it is peer-to-peer. You disintermediate financial services. This keeps the existing system. This does away with it. And that's the difference.
6: Karen's got a question. Yeah. So let me ask something. this sounds to me like PayPal or Venmo. And so I was wondering, PayPal didn't really seem to react. Uh, Certainly Facebook's gone up a lot in the last couple days on this. How is that not a PayPal or Venmo for Facebook. Yeah,
5: I I mean, effectively, that's what Libra is. It's PayPal, Venmo, um, any of those type of uh, things we have now. It's the next iteration of it. You'll likely be able to do more. I'm frankly shocked PayPal wasn't down more. I know we're going to have Mark Bahaney on talking about how big this is for Facebook, but for the payment space, think about this. You now have global payments that are going to be cost zero. What does that do for everybody
1: else who's charging money for those global payments? Those spreads are going to zero. So, so Brian, so we're, we're talking about PayPal. We're talking about Visa, Mastercard, Mercado Libre, Stripe. Uh, you name it; they're all involved in this project. They've funded this project. Isn't this what everyone's been waiting to, for in terms of institutional backing? Forget investors. I mean, you actually have platforms that that are that are conduits now. Yeah, absolutely. So actually, this is, that's what
5: I started this off saying. I would not want to um, disparage Libra at all. This is a huge step forward. This, you know, Facebook's going to have a nice looking wallet that everybody can get on. It's easy to use. You can start moving this stuff around. We can have an argument about the philosophy behind one of these, but for Facebook to do this and to create that wallet and get people on ball and have Visa and have MasterCard all involved in this validates the technology and gets people involved. To me, it's like the AOL moment. AOL got you online. Libra's gonna get you into crypto.
3: All right, thanks for that, BK and that crypto class. We got a news alert meantime on Facebook's Libra. Elon Moy is in DC with all the details. Elon, Melissa House Financial Services Chairwoman Maxine Waters calling for a moratorium. On Libra until Congress has a chance to weigh in. She said that Facebook executives should come before her committee to testify about these issues. She said that Facebook with this announcement is continuing its unchecked expansion and extending its reach into the lives of its users. She called it a wake-up call to get serious about privacy and national security concerns. Now, the ranking Republican on the committee, Patrick McHenry, has also expressed some reservations about the new cryptocurrency. We're also hearing some skepticism from Senate Democrats as well. So clearly, Facebook is going to have to answer to Congress as well as it develops this new digital currency. Back to you. All right, Elon, thank you so much. Elon Moy. Um, Guy, what do you, I mean, it's it's bipartisan, so that's Yeah,
4: bipartisan. So it's interesting they talk about trust. I mean, Facebook's pushback, and I'm not, obviously, on the Facebook board, nor do I care to be, but they're pushback But be, hey, we're showing you how people trust us in the most, uh, the most powerful way possible, with their checkbooks effectively. If they trust us with information that we can, you know, have currency go back and forth, what better way to exhibit trust? So this works to their favor, I think, so... In a lot of ways, I think Facebook is trying to preempt exactly what they're trying to go after them This is what
3: Senator Sherrod Brown, the top Democrat in the House Banking Committee, said in a statement. He said, Facebook is already too big and too powerful. It has used that power to exploit users' data without protecting their privacy. We cannot allow Facebook to run a new cryptocurrency out of a Swiss bank account without oversight.
1: Well, so, right, this is this is a new tangent for Facebook. It's obviously a very exciting business, um, but but it gets you into a place where if we're already into a, a form of, call this uh, economic exchange amongst individuals that, that already is shrouded in mystery for most regulators, for, forget the, the practitioners who, who don't believe it's mysterious at all. Um, for regulators, this would be another bucket. Look, the, the $30 move in Facebook stock off of 160 is all all about uh, a recovery from Libra, yes, and the market overall, but from, from headlines uh, on regulatory you know, onslaught. So um, that stuff has not left Facebook, and I think this is a reminder of such.
3: All right. Well, our next guest says Libra could be a watershed moment for Facebook and the crypto space. Mark Mahaney is a wow. great Internet Mark analyst live. at RBC yeah. Capital Market, Fantastic. and he is here in-house. I mean, this is a rare occurrence. Nice. It's been a long time. <laughs>
9: Good to be back. (laughs) It's raining outside. I don't know if anybody knows that.
3: You don't look wet at all, by the way. Um, So... We were just talking about this pop in Facebook stock, and, and some would say, oh, you know, it's Libra. What do, you, what do you think?
9: I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, the stock's up, what, 7 8% in the last three days? What other news is there? So the speculation started building up on Friday. We wrote a note on it that morning, another one today. Uh, look, this, I don't, I don't want to overstate it, this may be the Waymo moment for Facebook. In other words, when I talk with really long-term oriented investors on Facebook, they like the business, the core advertising business, but they want to know what the option value is. What else can this company do besides advertising? They may have just answered the question. There's a lot of ifs and uh, ands or buts and whether they execute well on this or not. But I think the model to look for here is uh, WeChat and what WeChat has done in China. And they generate about $10 billion a year in relatively high profit revenue. It's a share of commerce. It's a share of transactions. Facebook has these two great assets, that people in the U.S. underappreciate. There's this thing called WhatsApp that's got over a billion people. You leave the U.S., this is very widely used and, and uh, immaterially monetized. And then Facebook Messenger. I know there's a lot of controversy about Facebook in the U.S. market. You leave the U.S., you go to India, you go to Latin America, you go to Africa and the Middle East. There isn't the debate about the functionality, the usefulness, the privacy concerns related to these two assets. So anyway, we've had a re-rating because of this. I think it's warranted.
3: Right. And, and all of those groups that you mentioned, the people in those countries use WhatsApp, Already, I mean, they're they're fully entrenched on that platform as it is. Um, but when you think about what this can do, I mean, David Marcus, the head of Calibra, was on Squawk Box this morning, and I didn't get from him anything beyond peer-to-peer transfer of money. And I don't under- And if that's free, I don't understand how Facebook monetizes WhatsApp or Messenger by doing that. Can you? Connect the dots for me.
9: I'm going to try. If he can't do it, there's a communications problem <laughs> for the company. Uh, this look, this uh, David Marcus is a very good executive. So my guess is that they're not showing all of their cards. Uh, w- think about it this way: as a platform, you're increasing the functionality of uh, WhatsApp. It's used widely now as a texting messaging tool uh, between people but why not layer in more functionality the ability to order a, a, a meal delivery or ride sharing or to actually make purchases or to send money back and forth you've just created engage- more engagement on the platform so you could put some ads against that but I really think if people are going to use uh, um, uh, we- uh, WhatsApp in order to order uh, uh, ride uh, sh- uh, sharing cars you can get a commission off that. I think that's been the model at WeChat. Uh, and so that's they're what making they're making money from
3: Uber, basically, uh, or think, from uh, yeah. whoever the partner I think that's be.
9: what's. I think that's exactly what's going to happen here. But we're just guessing, and I'm surprised sure. they're not more upfront about it this morning. But I think that's the path.
3: Yeah. Hey, Mark, I'm
5: curious. Um, are other social media stocks now going to have to follow or going to follow? I know Jack Dorsey's a big supporter of Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, let's talk about Snap. Do these other guys now have to just come along?
9: Uh no, I don't think so. And there's also one thing that's really important and special about Facebook. It's just how big its audience is outside of the US. There's not a payments problem in in, in Japan or in Korea or in the US, North America, and Western Europe. You don't need cryptocurrency. There are parts of the world where credit card adoption is very limited. Currencies are really wild. That's where cryptocurrency as an enabling payment mechanism can really help. So Facebook's got a billion people in these markets. Snap doesn't have anybody in those markets. So I don't think there's much of an opportunity for them. I don't think they need to follow. But it just is one of those things that's a reminder of how powerful the Facebook platform is. I also like the stock because it still trades at a discount to its growth rate. It's cheap on a growth-adjusted basis. It's our number one pick in the group.
6: So, Mark, let me ask you something to understand this better. So, They have all these partners in this, and I thought that the, the partners were not going to be part of the rest of Facebook business. So to the extent they monetize it from some of their other businesses, how do they divvy that up? And, why, and if it's only used in the U.S., why would it be pegged to these other currencies as well? If it is used at all in
9: the U.S. Yeah, so, you know, you're asking. We don't have answers to some of these questions. Now, Uber, they could work with Uber. And Uber's in most markets or as a stake in every market in the world. So there is a play there. I don't know how many different. uh, Mercado Libre is one of their partners. So there you go, the leading e-commerce asset in Latin America. So there's they're putting together the the pieces. I'd like to see a broader list of e-commerce. Like, where's the Mercado Libre of India? Where's the Mercado Libre of Indonesia? Are they going to be part of this network? They should be. That will create more value for the network. So I don't know exactly. We don't know yet how that's going to play out. But I think that's the goal here.
3: Last quick question. I know we don't have a lot of answers, but to the extent that Facebook is creating this new ecosystem with this payment system as its core, as its spine, um, when you look at the other players out there, who do you think gets Um, interrupted uh, the most? I mean, would it be, I mean, Apple's been trying to create this ecosystem it has got this terrific, but Apple Pay? I don't know if a lot of people use it. I know you don't cover Apple, but I'm just...
9: I'm going to go out on a a limb here. I'm not. Zach Schwartzman, who works with me, is our big crypto bull in the house. I mean, I think the crypto bulls are going to tell you five to ten years out it's traditional banking that's upended, because... Mm -hmm. If uh, somebody is creating the platform that's going to enable commerce and payments and and transactions, uh, then it's a lost opportunity for somebody. Guess who? The traditional banking companies. So how's that for going out on a limb?
3: All right, Mark, great to see you. Thank you. Mark Mahaney of RBC. Guy, what do you think?
9: He's right. It is
4: the traditional banks. I think BK would agree with that as well. In terms of Facebook, the stock, Tim nailed it. I mean, 160 was the level. 50% retracement did it on huge volume a couple weeks ago. Now the stock cleared to take out that 197 level, which is where we topped out in May. The real test will come at the all-time high that we saw last year, 225. -er. I think that's where the stock is headed over the next
1: couple weeks. Simply, if Facebook does run into more regulatory issues and actually has to be broken up, that's actually a positive for the stock, in my view. Some of the parts I actually think it's cheap. The businesses that Mark, who's not here anymore, um, talked about are are, are some that are probably under-monetized right now and I think could be by themselves.
3: All right, still ahead, Beyond me captivating Wall Street as the stock cracks 200 bucks a share for the first time ever. And if you think that the move
6: is oh crazy, not, you won't believe where wow. one technician wow. sees it heading
3: next. Plus, check out Adobe Jumping After It's Earnings Report. The cloud stock has been hot all year. We'll tell you what's driving the move when Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Checkout shares of Beyond Meat touching $200 uh, today before staging a big reversal. Still, shares, the meatless wonder, have been on oh. fire since its market debut last month, now at nearly 600%, boasting a $10 billion market cap. That makes it larger than around 75 companies in the S&P 500. But our next guest says beyond meat and a handful of other hot IPOs are about to keep soaring. Let's go off the charts. It's Chris Verona, strategist, research partners. Chris, what are you watching?
10: Hey, Melissa. Well, we're watching IPOs broadly. I think this is a very good barometer of risk. And while the S and P is still below the highs of the last eighteen months, I like the fact that the IPO index, this is the IPO ETF ticker IPO, has already broken out above those twenty eighteen highs. So we're getting strength from the riskiest corners of the market. When you look at a longer-term picture of this, I think it's telling. In 2018, IPOs peaked in the second quarter. So before the S&P peaked, we saw the same thing in 2015. They also bottomed well before as well and making new highs today. We think that's a good sign for the broader market. When you look at some of the constituents in this group, so IPOs, the short interest levels are still very, very high, 15% on Uber, 46% on beyond meat. So there's still a lot of skeptics out there about this group. We like that from a contrarian standpoint. If you look at some of these names, I think Uber is interesting here. It's been quietly making this series of higher lows over the better part uh, of the last four, five, six weeks. It's starting to peak its head right near that 45 level. We think it breaks out ultimately on its way to 55. If you look at a name like a Pinterest, Very similar story. After about a 30% decline, starting to put in this really big base, up through 24, 25, challenging 28, we think uh, on its way to the low 30. So another example of a reversal playing out in the space uh, is Dropbox, a name that they took 60% out of since the IPO. This has started to bottom. It began in March carving out a low here, carving out a higher low here, on the verge of breaking out. So another good barometer in terms of risk appetite, these IPOs generally acting pretty well. And then we go to the one everyone wants to talk about, Beyond Meat. What I think is really interesting here, that 200 level, when you look at some trend lines here on the Beyond Meat chart, if we can draw them, uh, you have them basically connecting from the lower high. I guess we're not getting any lines anymore. getting from the lower high to the higher high, paused right near 200 that was the top end of this range consolidating here i think 150 155 is an area to buy the stock we expect new highs here but the broader message is strength from ipos is reflective of risk appetite and whether it's uber beyond me a good group of stocks here
3: chris why don't you come on over join us here at the desk jonah will bring the chair in. jonah because yeah. evan yeah. is gone
10: evan the,
4: the did you realize the, that he was Did that jonah replaced oh, evan or no I
3: got to get out. More. Anyway, <laughs> um, Chris. So, not to pitch you against another technical analyst who resides in the pantheon of technical pantheon, analysts, pantheon, but yeah. Carter Braxtonworth, our collective friend, um, has has always said that when analyzing IPO, there's just not much of a history there. Yeah. So, how how do you look at these charts and say the trend line is this for Beyond Meat when it's only been trading? since the beginning of May or so.
10: Yeah, but it's respected these levels. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at uh the 8 weeks of history that we have on the chart, every single time it's come back to support is held in reaccelerated off it. so until it breaks that pattern i think we have to give it the benefit of the doubt here uber as well while the ipo didn't go well it's held every single level for the better part of the last six weeks making higher lows first at 38 then 40 then 42 then 44 so i have to respect these and i think the broader message here is when you look at what is typically risk on type stocks already as an index making new highs, it probably bodes well for risk appetite broadly and says, hey, maybe this market's in better shape than people think.
6: Mm-hmm. All right. So let me ask you, I see your yeah. point about some of the skeptics reflected in the high short interest. But on the flip side, don't you have the lockup at some point, yeah. which will just dil- a deluge of shares, or that's four and a half months off, so that n-
10: not relevant? It's certainly in the future. But what I think is curious, none of these were great uh, IPOs to start. I mean, they hit Uber, they hit Lyft, they hit Dropbox. So Ooh. I think a lot of the bad news or a lot of the stuff. Beyond meat,
6: though, you can't say uh, that was.
10: That's perhaps the exception of, of this group. I mean, Dropbox, they had it down or 60% Zoom. from the high, right? So I think when you look at the majority of these names, they've experienced a tough go here at the start. I've been impressed with how they've responded to that. No question, the lockups, you know, uh, four or five, six months
1: from now become uh, an issue
10: for. These
1: names. Chris, you're, you're indicating you think this is a sign of risk appetite um, and you know some some risk aggression on yeah. some level. Um, ha, how about the opposite? How about sure. the fact that look, May was the worst market month we'd had in markets in a long time. June is the best month since January. Um, y- you can make an argument that this is this is really a byproduct of people reaching out to grab whatever they can. Well, I think you can make an argument when you look at some of the
10: valuations these stocks sport. When you have negative interest rates around the world and you have 2% 10-year yields, valuation as a timing tool just is not very helpful to any of us. And you're willing to pay excess valuations to own growth. And you know, these mm-hmm. are companies, whether you like the business models or not, they're actually growing. Yep. And when yields are low, you go out and you pay for it. So I think that's one of the messages here.
3: Chris, thank you. Good thank to you. To Chris Barone. Check out shares of Adobe in the after hours at after hours highs following its earnings report. The company conference call is underway. We'll bring you the very latest. Plus, one trader just bet the house, literally, that this group of stocks is about to tumble. They're soaring, by the way, right now, but about to tumble. Uh, much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Adobe. Shares are higher after reporting earnings. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with the details. Josh.
11: So, Melissa, a couple quick hot takes from the street here. Dan Ives over at Wedbush. Um, To him, the key metric, he said, was really incremental digital media ARR. Um, So that's a way to measure how much new recurring revenue they're booking in that segment for the quarter. That did come in better expected at $406 million. The street was at 371. million. To him, that's a sign that these growth initiatives at the company are starting to come to fruition. On the other hand, I also checked into Pat Walravens at JMP. Now, uh, Pat is sitting on the sidelines in Adobe. To him, he says, uh, not a lot in this quarter he could get excited about. He thinks investors are really just, in his words, breathing a sigh that nothing went wrong. He points out company actually guided down slightly for next quarter. He raises a, a broader point, too. If GDP is slowing, then how does it not start to get reflected in some of these businesses, he asks. Uh, but CEO Shantanu Narayan obviously sounding more bullish tone on the call. Talked about the acquisitions of uh, Magento and Marketo, said they are already significantly increasing value, helping Adobe attract new logos. Our revenue growth, cash flow, and operating profit he said, differentiates us from SaaS companies at scale. For much more, uh, Melissa, I know your viewers will turn in tomorrow to Squawk Alley. Our own John Ford is going to be interviewing uh, CEO Shetton and Orion, talking about this print and, I'm sure, a lot else. Melissa, back to you. All
3: right. Uh, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton San Francisco. Guy, how do you trade? Now,
4: see, the stock's been trading sideways since basically last fall, at right around 275, up or down, but effectively where it's been. I think this takes it to the next level. I think it breaks out now. People will say, wait a second. 30 times forward earnings, it's expensive. Yeah, it is expensive, but you have the EPS growth to back it up, and it's one of the best companies in the space. So I think it's just been trading sideways, building a base. I think you're going to see analysts upgrade the stock tomorrow.
3: All right, coming up, one trader just spent more than $350 million. The soaring group of stocks is about to tumble. We've got the details much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Real estate on a tear this year, hitting an all-time high, but one trader just made a $350 million bet. The sector is on shaky ground. Mike Coe joins us from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Hey, Mike.
2: Here I am at my favorite Falmouth (laughs) Chinese restaurant, (laughs) and we're going to talk a little bit about VNQ. So VNQ is the Vanguard exchange-traded product that is designed to track the MSCI REIT index. And today we saw an extremely notable trade Traded about 16 times or more. Its average daily put volume and the trade we saw was a purchase of 40,000 of the September eighty-six eighty-one put spreads. It looked like a roll up from the 81s. And the reason that's a $350 million bet is 40,000 puts represents 4 million shares of VNQ, or approximately 350 million notionally below 86. It closed around 90 and a half today. So this is a bet that VNQ could decline below that 86 strike by at least the amount of premium that they're spending in this case, 55 cents, down to about 85 and a half. But presumably, this is a bet that it could decline more than that. And this may also potentially be a hedge because, of course, VNQ is up substantially more than 25% since the beginning of the year. There are only a few holders of substantial blocks of options. Elliott Management owns about 40,000, so they are a potential contender uh, for having done this trade today.
3: I'm glad Mike made the comment about the Chinese restaurant. He beat us yeah. to it. <laughs> he he doing us to it. it. Uh, BK, you're looking at VNQ.
5: Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at VNQ, IYR, and TLT, they all trade the same. So this is really a rates bet, in my view. I mean, perhaps these people own VNQ as a way to play lower rates, and this is a hedge against it. But curious that this happens right
6: before the Fed tomorrow. I think if you get higher rates, this will pay off quite well. Uh, Mike, first of all, Mike, your kid was so cute for Father's Day that was ridiculous. But <laughs> aside from that, he really it was. Is it is this more efficient than playing a rates? I would rates bet outright. I would think it would be less efficient, or is it just if you own the underlying?
2: Well, I, I think there you could be long the underlying, or you could be long substantial portions of the major constituents of the underlying, which may have some crossover with the builders' names like Warehouser. Or it could be more of the REIT types of names, like Simon Properties or Avalon Bay. If you have exposures to those, this would be a more direct hedge, obviously, for the potential impact. So I think it could be a play on rates, or it could be just a hedge against those types of names.
3: All right, Mike, we'll let you get back to dinner. Enjoy. You think he's Bye ordering up.
2: Szechuan beef Thank today? You I can day. only hope.
3: I'm <laughs> Massachusetts, full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, up next, Final Trades. for the final trade. Tim.
1: All this talk of interest rate sensitivity and the housing market leads you straight to home improvement with a consumer right now that has the wealth effect but has these low rates to put money into the houses. Lowe's underperforms Home Depot. I actually think the multiple should be at least starting to close the gap. BK
5: Brian Kelly. So tomorrow will be about rates. The Federal Reserve, if we get a stronger dollar, one way to play that is to sell gold. GLD.
6: Karen. Yes, CBS. We haven't talked about it in a while. I think... Seems to be widely known. Merger talk to Viacom heating up. I think there'll be a deal, but even without it, I like it here. He?
4: Oil's turned, Mel. The Moose out front should have told you. And HFC, Holly Moose, Frontier, is too cheap. The Moose out front should have told you. Or uh go From vacation, All right, wait. we'll see you back at more oh, five. Funny.
3: More Fast Mad Money starts right now. <laughs>